Welcome to the QAV podcast. If you're brand new, I just want to introduce the podcast a little bit so you know what you're getting yourself into. If you've listened to the show before, feel free to just fast forward a minute or two. If you're brand new, here's the deal. Uh, my name's Cameron Riley. Tony Kynaston is an old friend of mine. He's a very successful share market investor. I'm talking very, very, very successful. He's been doing it 30 years. He's one of the best in the country in terms of a private investor. Very good uh, track record over 30 years. And what this podcast is about is Tony basically teaches me everything that he knows about investing in the stock market. And you get to listen. But if you're coming into this for the first time, you'll find that this episode, the current episodes, assume a certain level of prior knowledge. We assume that you know what we're talking about, his system, his methodology, which we explain in earlier episodes. So feel free to listen if you want to get the vibe for what's going on, but some of it's not going to make much sense unless you understand what the checklist is, etc. I recommend if you're brand new, you go back and listen to uh, Season 3, Episode 1, Episode 3 and Episode 5, where we go into Tony's background and his system and his methodology in a lot more detail. And then feel free to listen to the contemporary episodes, the current episodes, you'll understand more of the context of what we're talking about. With that, let's get into today's show. How's Bundy? Bundy's uh, good, hot in this room, but uh, you know it's nice. Where are you? Do you want to reveal it to the audience? Oh, we're in Bowral. Where is that exactly? Southern Highland, so about an hour and a half south of Sydney. Is it pretty? I've seen you. I've seen your photos, your videos of waterfalls oh, and stuff. Yeah, it's beautiful. Very, very nice. Yeah, it's a bit like um, the UK. It's little. Little villagey towns every few k's and uh, lots of green pastures, golf courses, tea shops. It's good. So you've been paying much attention to your portfolio in the last week? I haven't looked at it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're hopeless. You call yourself an investor. Well, I've got some uh, news items I can talk about before we get into the Q&A. Ray Dalio. Oh. I watched a bit of a video interview that Ray Dalio did last week for people who don't know who Ray Dalio is, American billionaire investor of some fund, uh, mostly a value investor guy. We did mention a couple of months ago that he posted something where he seemed to be capitulating on Bitcoin because he said it was very interesting or something, um, had proven itself. Uh but in this interview, I heard him say that he's fairly convinced it's going to be outlawed by the U.S. government at some point. He said what I've heard you say before, uh, that uh, the ability to manage your monetary system is kind of intrinsic to a government and uh, taxation to pay for the government. So at some point, they're either going to normalize and regulate Bitcoin or outlaw Bitcoin or come up with their own crypto, whatever it is. But yeah, he seemed to think that the US government will crack down on it at some point when it becomes a big enough issue. Don't know what happens to all of the investors in Bitcoin at that point. He didn't really say. Maybe it becomes more valuable if the government bans it because, uh, I don't know, something, something well, limited. Stop. I mean, there's lots of the Davos crowd getting into Bitcoin now, the big banks and stuff. So 
they'll all have to bail if it gets banned. Uh, but I think it's more likely, like I, I agree with Ray, but I think it's more likely that what's happening in China now is what's going to happen. So China, I, I read recently, is launching its own digital currency. Right. So why would you use Bitcoin if you can still use the, the government currency? And, and All currencies already digital currencies, though. I pay for everything on my iPhone. Yeah. I, I haven't seen cash for like five years. I, I... <laughs> Pretty much, aren't they? They really are. Yeah. yeah. They're all fiat. It, I mean, who actually buys things with Bitcoin? If you're not buying drugs or on the dark web, who's actually using Bitcoin to pay for anything? You can you can buy a Tesla with Bitcoin. <laughs> Which is why I believe Elon Musk and Tesla needed to buy a bunch of Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, had something to do with the fact that I don't know they needed something something I don't understand it but um, anyway yeah I'm not I, I guess the point is I'm not insure I'm not how sure of a good I'm not <laughs> I, I I just got back from the beach I'm not sure uh, how much of a good investment something is if it's about to be potentially banned by governments around the world is that code anyway. is it, I just got back from the beach is that code now for I just tried the Kalki moon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was last night. No, we've just been down the beach. It's lovely here. I'm in Bundy and where my mum lives, been mowing the lawn, helping her dig out banana trees that are uh, coming up under the... I, I was here last year and I dug a gutter right around the outside of a house, laid cement down and uh, put in this plastic guttering from Bunnings because it was when it... When it bucketed down here during big thunderstorms, it was sort of flooding into a garage. So this was designed to divert mm-hmm. the water around the house. But then she went and pl- planted bloody banana trees next to it. And, of course, one banana tree turned into 12 because they just sprouted up. And they've sprouted up through the guttering, yep. smashed through the concrete, yep. busted up the guttering everywhere. So it's just a dog's breakfast. So I was in there uh-huh. trying to dig all the these bananas. But she wants to keep the bananas. She goes, well, they're eight feet tall now. They're about to give me bananas. I don't want to cut them out now. I want my bananas. Don't worry about the guttering. I'm like, I spent like a week building that guttering, and now it's all. Anyway, so I'm in Bundy. And it's hot, but it's lovely this time of the year. It's the perfect time of year to come up to Bundy. If you're thinking, you're looking, it. you're looking tanned. That's just hot. I'm just hot. Oh, okay, you don't think I'm red, have you? <laughs> hot in my little bedroom here. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, all right, so that's Ray Dalio. Uh, then Mark uh, sent me one of our marks. I think it was Mark Hargroves. Sent me a link to an interview with a guy called Lou Simpson. I, uh, do you know that name? If I had to guess, I'd say is he the guy who runs Geico for Buffett? He's the guy who used to run Geico for Buffett, yes. Right, okay. He is now uh, the current chairman of SQ Advisors and has been called one of the investment greats by none other than Warren Buffett himself. That is, At the time of his retirement from Geico in 2010, he managed a portfolio valued at more than $4 billion dollars. And uh, there he was—he's now like on the advisory council of Kellogg's uh, School of Management. He was interviewed by one of the professors of finance there. Uh, you probably haven't had a chance to have a look at this yet. I added it to I the notes no. yesterday. Yeah. Just some really interesting the, quotes. I think it's called the Kellogg School of Management, too, not Kellogg's, as in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the uh, Kellogg School. Yeah. Well, it says he, he's like- in a. 
It's not like the Pons Institute. <laughs> the Wheatbix Institute. Yeah. Uh, he says, it says he's a senior fellow and adjunct professor of finance at Kellogg and a member of the advisory council of Kellogg's Asset Management Practicum. Okay. We need something. The QAV practicum. I don't know what a practicum is, but I've got it sounds, no idea. sounds fancy. <laughs> anyway, Mark isn't the paracetam said, a small particle? Isn't the paracetam like a microbe? Yeah, it is. Yeah. That describes our dummy portfolio, doesn't it? The paracetam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the new name for it now, the paracetam. Uh, uh, Mark said we, he thought uh, this guy sounded like one of your kind of people. Um, he gets asked, what would you say is the essence of your investment philosophy? Lou replies, the essence is simplicity. The base case for investing in any area of the market is a passive product, such as an index fund. That's something any investor investor can access. If you're a professional investor, the question is, how can you add value? The more you trade, the harder it is to add value because you're absorbing a lot of transaction costs, not to mention taxes. What we do is run a long-time horizon portfolio comprised of 10 to 15 stocks. Most of them are US-based. They all have similar characteristics. Basically, they're good businesses. They have a high return on capital, consistently good returns, and they're run by leaders who want to create long-term value for shareholders while also treating their stakeholders right. So that sounds familiar? It does. Sounds good, doesn't it? Does it, does it talk about his returns at all? Uh, I think it does. I'll get to that. But he says, um, you can only know so many companies. If you're managing 50 or 100 positions, the chances that you can add value are much, much lower. So far this year, we bought one new position and we're looking pretty seriously at one more. I don't know what we'll decide to do. Our turnover is 15 to 20%. Usually we add one or two things and get rid of one or two things. Again, that kind of sounds like you. Yeah, but here's here's another thing that had jumped out at me. He said, one thing a lot of investors do is they cut their flowers and water their weeds. Mm -hmm. They sell their winners and keep their losers, hoping the losers will come back even. Generally, it's more effective to cut your weeds and water your flowers, sell the things that didn't work out and let the things that are working out run. So we should ask Jan for advice from now on. Because she waters the banana trees and <laughs> cuts the concrete. <laughs> That's my mum, Jan, in case any people are scratching their head wondering who that is. Yes. Yeah, I like that one. I, I, you may have used that before, but I don't remember it. Cut the, you know, what does he say? Uh, cut your weeds and water your flowers. Yep. I like that. It's a good saying, yeah. Um, As opposed to rebalancing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is even worse. That's give more money to the weeds from the cut flowers. Yeah, right. (laughs) And, you know, people ask us this all the time, you know, when should we sell? Like uh, these have gone up so far, they're not going to go any further. Should we get out? You always say, no, hold on to it. Mm -hmm. If it's doing well, yeah. Uh, No, it doesn't talk in this about what his returns are. Could probably look it up though. But anyway, there you go. That was the main point I wanted to pull out. Cut your weeds and water your flowers. That's good. Well, that's that's, that's that's it for me with my news. Uh, I didn't do an end of month. I Not yet. I haven't done an end of month thing on our portfolio because I've been in holiday mode mm-hmm. since the end of the month. But, um, you know, we seem to be doing okay uh, at the moment according to ShareSite and all those sorts of places. 
I'll just bring up our portfolio in ShareSite. Um, for the financial year, as of today, we're recording this, by the way, on Thursday, the 8th of April, late in the afternoon, 2021. It says for the financial year, we're up roughly 32% and the um, ASX is up 22%. Okay. So we're outperforming, not by as much as we normally are, but uh, we're still 10 points up. On the ASX, There's been a few dividends come in recently. Have you kept the portfolio up to date with dividends? Um, yeah, I have. It normally shows me here on the share site page if there's anything I need to confirm. Okay. Yep. I can't see anything outstanding. If you're using share site, it picks up the dividends. You're right. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so we're doing okay. Particularly, you know, we read out last week or the week before how most of the funds in this country do. Yeah, the yeah. actively managed funds um, yeah. certainly doing better than the vast majority of those. There are some yeah, exceptions. and we've been fairly we've been fairly stable since the since the uh, since the COVID cough last year as well, haven't we? Which is uh, good too. Um, yeah, we dipped down. Uh, looking at the chart here, around about November, October, November, we actually dipped a little bit below the um, all odds. I don't know exactly what happened then. I can't remember what was going on in November. We we dipped for about a month, but then we came no, back so, up above it again. Sorry, what I meant was we haven't been very active in the market once we once we bought oh, back in after COVID. No, we've hardly traded much at all. Yeah, since then, just yep. been sitting on them. And of course, you know, uh, some of our big winners like FMG have uh, come back a lot. Mm-hmm. In the last couple of months, with the iron ore price in decline, but uh, so that, you know we would we uh, aren't out, out outperforming it as much as we were, mostly due to some of those coming back. But there's still, I think, FMG was up 200% since we bought it. Now it's more like back down to 160% or something. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's good. 160% okay. Yeah. I'll take that. <laughs> uh, so. I did some stock journals. I know you've been away, but um, I sold out of my holding of ING, Ingham's Group. You did? Their, uh, their CEO left or resigned um, unexpectedly, which I, is probably innocuous enough, but the share price dropped when that happened and uh, uh, it, it breached its sell point, so I sold out. And I bought into – I had already had sort of half a holding in ANZ, so I, I topped that one up and then put the rest into JB Hi-Fi, which was the next big sort of market cap on the buy list. I did skip round uh, Silver Lake Resources, I think, which was a gold miner, which I think was above JB Hi-Fi, but I I um, didn't feel comfortable buying more of Silver Lake. I already own some um, until I work out whether it, uh, gold is um, a buy or sell at the moment. Right. In the long term, it's still a buy, but uh, if I t- take a shorter time frame, it's probably a sell. Right. Yeah. So that's that. Uh, stock of the week, I think I'm going to make uh, Mayfield. It's a childcare company. And that crossed its buy line a day or two ago. So it's on the buy list now with a QAV score of 0.31. This is the one that's a husband and wife operation out of New Zealand that we've talked about before? Uh, could be. Mayf- Mayfield, I think, was mentioned during the Zoom call. One of our Melbourne listeners was talking about it. And it was, it's been a close to a buy for a while, but it's just crossed over in the last couple of days. Right. Yeah. Okay. So just a reminder for the new people, uh, stock of the week just means worth checking out. Have a look. If yeah. If you're looking for something to do an analysis on this week, 
don't buy or sell anything because you heard Tony talk about it. Go do your own homework on it. But we're just highlighting the fact that this might be one that's worth uh, checking out. Yeah, so I'm just looking them up now. Uh... Dean Clark and Michelle Clark, husband and wife team. Yeah, oh, you're right. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So... In Australia, they're based out of Malvern down in uh, Victoria, but I seem to think, seem to remember them having a New Zealand connection, although that might be just my memory. No, I think I think I, I think I may have confused them with a New Zealand childcare company, but it's definitely one in oh, Victoria. Okay, right. Cool. They own 21 long-day childcare centres located in and around Melbourne. Right. So not not a big company. There's only about $20,000 on average daily traded, but uh, that might suit some people who are starting their portfolios. But, uh, yeah, I just raise it because it's uh, it's been like it dropped off dramatically during COVID and it's it's been going up since then, but it's uh, just breached its byline. Right. Hmm. I guess probably a little bit of a tough time for childcare centres during COVID. Well, yeah, if everyone's at home, it's um, <laughs> they don't need childcare, do they? Yeah, well, they they probably still had frontline workers, kids, and they you know yeah. would have had job keeper coming in and that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah, yep. So have a look at that. That's my stock of the week. That's right. all I have on uh, in terms of stock journals too, Cam. Okay, so Q and A time. Yeah, Q&A time. This one's from Mark. He says, TLS scrapes into Tony's buy list. That's... uh, Telstra. Who's that? Telstra. I was thinking the reject shop. That's TRS. TRS, yeah. No doubt Tony will have read Alan Kohler's bearish and Roger Montgomery's bullish recent musings on TLS. Not sure that you would have. Would you be too busy playing golf? Yeah. Uh, And, yeah, I probably scanned them, but I haven't really um, taken them in too much. Again, their, their opinions. He says, I know Tony's answer will be no, just look at the numbers, but does the proposed TLS breakup into four discrete, hence separately saleable entities have any bearing on Tony's thinking? and perhaps prioritise a TLS buy ahead of other higher-scoring stocks? No, it doesn't. No, not at all. Uh, I think, you know, I don't have a problem if someone wants to promote something up the buy list or, you know, take it as a, a preference over something else. We've done that in the past when we bought some copper stocks, when even though they weren't the highest on the list. But I think you'd have to be a, a fairly good analyst of telcos to to have a punt on Telstra just based on what Roger Montgomery or Alan Kohler says. I mean, they're fine people, but uh, unless you're a deep telco analyst, uh, you know, it's the who knows what will happen with Telstra. And, and just as background, uh, Telstra's been struggling because they sold off their copper network to the MBN Co. And now it's trying to position itself to buy that, MBN network back from the government now that the rollout's substantially finished, even though the government hasn't necessarily said they're going to sell yet. But um, uh, they Telstra believes that if they did buy the MBN back, they wouldn't be able to hold some of their other infrastructure assets because then they'd be uh, the the deal might be vetoed in terms of it being a monopoly uh, and being anti-competitive. So they're they're sort of breaking up the poles and wires, breaking up the the core mobile business and breaking up the 
uh, two other sections anyway, I'm not sure what they are exactly, so that they can hive off something quickly if they need to to satisfy the ACCC when they um, bid for MBN. So first of all, it's almost like you've got to work out the odds of all this happening and the signs and probabilities. No one has said the MBN is going to be sold. I think the government may have hinted that they will do it. Um, and even if they are going to sell it, no one said when or for how much. So Telstra may not even want to bid. And then, you know, we don't, once it gets into a deal, we don't know what it needs to hive off. So there's a lot of water to flow under the bridge at the moment for Telstra. And I know the share market will be forward looking, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't certainly um, position Telstra higher on the buy list because of, of, of um, what it's done recently. It's on the buy list. It's a big company. If someone wants to buy it, sure, they should be familiar with it. Uh, I've got to say, I had another run in with Telstra on the weekend, and I wouldn't be buying it if you held a gun to my head. Um, not because it's a bad company, but it's bad customer service. It's just woeful every time I deal with Telstra. Uh, I scratch my head and wonder how they even exist as a company because, uh, as well, as a sample of one, I'm a very disgruntled customer with them. But anyway, uh, yeah, so answer is no. Don't buy, I wouldn't push it up the list because of what they've done recently. There's still a lot of water to flow under the bridge. and uh, But if you feel you want to do that, go ahead. Well, tell us about your Telstra customer service experience now. We want to hear that. Well, so I've had some friends staying at Cape Shank over Easter, and I get a text message on Sunday saying your Wi-Fi is broken, and it's saying the, the modem saying it's been disconnected. Yeah, so have you paid your bill? So I jumped on. Yeah, the bill's been paid. Everything's working. Uh, try and get a hold of Telstra. Uh, went to their chat page and they did the chatbot thing. And uh, the guy, guy comes on, hi, would like to help you answer these five questions, which I answered. And then the whole thing goes dead. And so 20 minutes later, the chatbot shuts and says, you've been inactive for 20 minutes. I'm shutting you, shutting you down. He still hasn't replied to my answers to his questions. So it took me a, about 10 minutes to log back into Telstra and find how to get back into the chat I was having. Uh, and then I you know, said, are you still there? Oh, yeah, yeah, trying to help you. And then 20 minutes later, chatbot shuts down again through inactivity. So, you know, two sessions, both cancelled uh, and got no further than what I was. The Wi-Fi is still out at Cape Shank probably. I've got no way of fixing it. It was just woeful. Terrible. Don't they know who you are? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's my soapbox. I don't like Telstra and their customer service. Have you ever heard of a little thing called the QAV podcast? That's what you need to say. <laughs> you say no. You go, oh, okay. Well, don't worry about it then. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Uh, here's another one from Mark. Now, Mark's, uh, oh, Mark's getting sneaky. I can see three questions from Mark this week. Well, from three questions from people called Mark. They may be different marks. Well, this is, this is anyway. how they can, get, they can get around the limit of one per person. If everyone puts their questioning and calls themselves Mark, we won't know how many questions from each person. I'm Spartacus. <laughs> no, I'm Spartacus. Uh, he says, uh, Tony has said in a selling scenario, enough alliteration for one day, he'd prioritise selling low dividend payers. Tony has said that in a selling scenario, he'd prioritise selling low-dividend payers. People investing for the long haul outside of super and unleveraged, unlevered, unleveraged, 
may prefer low or no dividend paying stocks, i.e. prefer capital gains incurred on sale, perhaps in the distant future over dividends incurred biannually and taxed as income. Were Tony this type of investor, would he change his checklist, particularly regarding the dividend versus mortgage rate preference? Uh, yeah, I mean, yes and no. So uh, I do use the dividends to pay for the mortgage and I also live off the dividend income as well. So there's that angle. But if you take my sort of individual situation aside, I think as a broad rule of thumb, yes, if you, you know, Warren Buffett's never paid a dividend from Berkshire Hathaway. And if you look at a company like Amazon with Jeff Bezos, they take it one step further and haven't made a profit for years by reinvesting all their their uh, income that they can back into expanding the company. So certainly a dividend, you know, is a break or a handbrake on, on long-term gains because it's money that's leaving the company. But on the other side, like in our checklist, we do – give give items a, um, a one if they pay a dividend because it's also, I guess, a, a vote of confidence by the board that the company is going to continue to make at least a certain level of profit and thereby pay out a dividend because one thing that companies don't want to do is to stop paying a dividend or reduce it because uh, it generally for, you know, starts a sell-off in the company as people panic that the, the profitability isn't going to be good in the future. And then sometimes boards get into trouble when they, uh, you know, they decide to keep paying a dividend in the hope that profit will turn around, and uh, they find that it doesn't, and then they're borrowing to pay the dividend, and eventually that becomes a problem, and they and they crash. But, um, but yeah, so companies paying dividends is a sign that the the company the directors think that they're profitable, so it has got some value. But uh, I take Mark's point. Uh, the flip side is also the case that if you're not paying a dividend and the money's being reinvested wisely that's a better company to invest in. But again, there's a couple of things you've got to be careful with with that. First of all, is the company not paying a dividend because it can't? So for example, it may not be profitable, but it also it may be like I say, a mining exploration company where it's pouring money into, I guess, uh, drilling in the hope that it will make money in the future. So it, that, that can also be you know, kind of a speculative way to invest. So just because a company does or doesn't pay a dividend is is not necessarily a good way to just at first blush look at investing in a company. So yes, in terms of selling things first, I'll sell the non-payers because I need to live off the dividends and pay my costs out of that. Uh, if I didn't have to do that, I would potentially favour companies that didn't pay dividends. But again, it's, a, it's kind of like you've got to, you've got to drill down a bit and just explore that. If it's paying a dividend, that's a tick for me because I know it's going to be, the, the, the directors are pretty comfortable. It's going to make money in the future. Uh, but if it's a if it's a company which is wisely reinvesting that dividend back into the company, then probably in the long term, that's better. So it's, it's kind of a case-by-case situation, really. My understanding was that another reason uh, we look at dividends is because there are a lot of investors in the market, particularly elderly people who value dividends. So the companies that are paying a high dividend uh, are probably going to be sought after by retirees and, and funds that have a lot of retirees as their investors and therefore will be an attractive stock. And if we currently think it's undervalued, but it's a high dividend payer, then it'll 
you know, have a good chance of reverting to the mean. Did I misunderstand that? Yeah, no, you're right. There's also the fact that they're popular. And, of course, um, as we spoke about last week, the, uh, the, the companies in Australia are incentivized to pay dividends because it's a way of releasing the franking credits back to their shareholders as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Good O. Thanks, Mark. James, uh, the last point on Cam's instructions on the Flipman sheet. Uh, by the way, speaking of that, if, you, if you're not on Facebook, uh, Gary picked up uh, an omission in my instructions on the Flipman model to do with copying. Every time you do a download from StockDoc, you have to copy the codes um, from the main page to the, I think it's the manual data page or the QAV score page, um, uh, which I confirmed with Andrew. So I've added that to the instructions. So there's a new point, uh, step six, uh, in the instructions, so please download the latest version from our Dropbox folder and, and have a look at that. Uh, last point on Cam's instructions is to check the dates are still recent. So now I'm wondering, what's your tolerance for older data? In other words, when does the data become stale or beyond their use-by date? Yeah, so normally six months. So at the moment, we, we should be seeing December as the or December 2020 as the most recent data. Um, if we're seeing June 2020, then that's too old. It means that the company either hasn't lodged its results or it hasn't come through stock doctor yet. Sometimes they they can be late, especially if they're small companies. But yeah, six months. Uh, I know people will say, oh, but New Zealand oil was on the buy list with data from 2015. But that was a bit different because it had been delisted and relisted and we were waiting for the the results to come through but yeah it's six months so at the moment like for example i did a download last week and uh when i was looking at which stock to buy after selling inghams and uh i just ran through down my list and looked at all the companies that have reported in december or between june and december sometimes there are september figures there or november we're now getting the retailers who are reporting in january but yeah i, I left alone all the ones that were still showing june 2020 as the latest figures Right. So, sorry, when I say six months, I mean uh, six months in terms of the reporting schedule. So, the most recent figures we'll be seeing should be December or January this year. Yes. Yeah. So, I don't want so June's last year. If you get a report now and the figures are, if you run a download and the figures are still June, July last year, why would that be? Yeah, so either the company's had a problem and, and it um, hasn't lodged its accounts yet, so there could be a qualified audit or there could be uh, some reason why they haven't um, lodged their accounts. Uh, could be a dispute, for example. Like, yeah, uh, I think, I'm not sure what, the, they get a certain period of time from the ASX. They have to do it by the end of August, uh, so what are we in now? They have to do it by the end of March. Um, but if they don't, they can apply for an extension, I think, but they have to show good cause. So, yeah, like they could be having problems themselves. But sometimes I know that the provider of data to Stock Doctor just uh, hasn't gotten around to doing a sweep of all the latecomers. So um, feel free if you if you are interested in the company and it's got June figures in Stock Doctor to email Stock Doctor support and just ask them to check and see if there are more recent figures. They're, they're pretty good at that. That's good. Yeah. There you go, James. Here's another one from uh, a Mark, a Mark. <laughs> Just a question. KRM's, 
<laughs> What's your name, I'm Brian? Brian. Yeah, I'm Brian, so if, is my wife. <laughs> do you mind if we call you Mark? <laughs> KRM's health score on Stock Doctor has recently changed from strong to early warning. Is this a good enough reason to sell or are we still waiting for the three-point sell? Yeah, still waiting for the three-point sell. Look, it's a really good question from Mark and I, I'll add it to our list of things to research, but generally no. And the reason I say no is that I've seen companies... Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. For the brand new folks, I want you to know that each week we have a free episode and a premium episode. Free episode runs about half an hour. Premium episode usually runs for an extra half hour to an hour, depending on how many questions we have from our audience that week, because we spend a lot of that time answering questions. Uh, If you want to check out the premium episodes, you can go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au, and sign up for the two-week free trial. You get to have a look at the premium episodes. You get to have a look at the checklist, the getting started guide, all of the video content that we have. Uh, You get invited to our VIP dinners and our VIP Zoom calls for club members. You get to ask Tony questions that we can answer. You get to get invited to our uh, Facebook group, our private Facebook group, etc., etc. And also uh, we get a, a... private uh, club member newsletter each week we send out as well with some stuff in it so check that out qavpodcast.com.au but as i said if you're brand new and you want to you're trying to figure out what's going on go back and listen to season three episodes one three and five 301 303 and 305 and then you might also want to go back and listen to season one as well all of the free episodes in season one where we go into a lot of detail about tony's system and methodology and figure out if this is right for you, if it's something that you want to go further with, if you want to learn how to invest like Tony does, then you can check out the uh, QAV Club. Uh, the other thing I always have to say is we're not financial advisors, so don't take anything you hear on this as financial advice. This is just here to teach how one guy invests and thinks about investing. If you need financial advice or tax advice, please go see a financial advisor or a tax advisor. Uh, With that, stay safe, good luck with your investing, and we'll be back next week.